Hello, welcome to the Bright Club Southampton podcast, episode 4. I'm your host, Dave Christensen. Thank you for listening, thank you for downloading or streaming or however you're listening to this. So, just as a quick introduction, in case you haven't listened to our previous episodes, uh, so Bright Club is a uh, comedy night that we put on in Southampton uh, about every three months, roughly. And uh, at our comedy nights, we get uh, five, usually, academics, or people with kind of interests in academic subjects, to uh, try and do some stand-up, often for the first time, uh, about their work, about their interests. Then, for the podcast, uh, we've got those performers to come back and interview each other to find out a bit more about them and their work and what interests them and all sorts of things, just to have a chat about how they got into research or why they wanted to do Bright Club. So, for this uh, fourth episode, we've got Jess Spurrell, who was interviewed in our first episode, uh, and she is interviewing John LePage. John's a developmental biologist uh, with a particular interest for his PhD on uh, the jaw and uh, development of the skull. But uh, unfortunately for us, uh, he wasn't really able to tell us an awful lot about his work or his findings uh, because um, he's still looking to publish that work and didn't want to talk about it just yet. Uh, hopefully he'll come back in the future and tell us more about it, though. But don't worry, uh, because Jess and John did have uh, very interesting conversations, uh, amongst other things, about uh, problems of the structure of academia, about John's dislike for Monaco, uh, and uh, and about why anyone should bother being interested in research into the development of the mammalian skull. And also, John's a uh, conversationally funny guy, so um, I think this has been one of the uh, more fun podcasts to be there present recording, and uh, and hopefully it'll also be fun for you to listen to the conversations as well as the clips of his stand-up. And he was also kind enough to host us to record the interview uh, at his house, uh, which is uh, down near the docks in Southampton, so um, listen out for some uh, traffic noises and seagulls in the background. <laughs> so, I won't take up any more of your time right now. Let's get on with the show. Yes, I'm uh, almost Dr. John LePage, and I'm very nearly happy to be here. <laughs> Hello, John. Thanks very much for the tea. Hi, Jess. You're very welcome. <laughs> um, so, it's what, nine months since you did Bright Club, approximately. Mm. How's life now? Are people stopping you in the streets, asking for autographs? That kick-started your, your career? Uh, nobody even recognised me at the Bright Club gigs. Um, you know, even, even from other Bright Club team people. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I still put the video around sometimes, and sometimes people sort of say that they've watched it, and it's kind of funny, um, which, is, which is nice. What made you um, What made you decide to come and do Bright Club and put your ego on the line and stand up and try and be funny in front of people? Well, my friend Dave was one of the organisers. He's the one recording this, and um, he told me about it, and it sounded like fun. And I've always wanted to do uh, a bit of comedy. Uh, when I was at university, a friend of mine um, set up the comedy... Uh, well, it was a comedy performance society huge wrangles about trying to wrest it away from a comedy appreciation society um, and then some of my that kind of grew 
and other friends through my PhD years were um, doing it and they took a shot to Edinburgh and I kind of uh, admired their accomplishments in that um, and I've always been a fan of comedy so having seen my friends particularly the ones that really drove big changes accomplish uh, uh, so much and have so much fun I thought it'd be worth doing that's really cool. And did it live up to your expectations? Did you did you did you enjoy the evening? Was it a fun experience? Yeah, it, it looked like fun. you were having fun watching the video. But. Yeah, I went into it to have fun, and it was it was fun. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't take it too seriously, which comes off better, really. Uh, I don't think you can take yourself too seriously when you do stand up comedy. Maybe that sort of relaxed attitude is why. Um, when we were when I was watching it and then talking about it, we uh, yeah it looked like you were one of the most comfortable up there on the stage I'm uncomfortable in every single social situation <laughs> including this one <laughs> but I'm, I'm so uncomfortable that I'm maxed out at all times so me sitting here having a cup of tea with two friends is equally as uncomfortable as standing in front of 100 people <laughs> laughing at me um, it's, it's a real gift so if you're, you're constantly fighting that social discomfort, then you can do anything. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a gift, yeah. And it didn't come across on the stage. Like I said, you genuinely looked like you belonged up there. So I wouldn't be surprised if you did, you know, do more stand-up comedy. I forgot to mention, actually, that another inspiration was my old lab partner is a professional comedian now. Oh. Uh, and she, I think she may be doing one of the future Bright Clubs, Adele Cliff. Um, I hope I'm getting her name right. <laughs> and uh, her surname, at least. Um, so there are the you know there's there's other people around who um, really helps me feel that it's something you can do. You, you can just go up there and do it and try and enjoy it. It's good to have good to have role models to show you the way. We were encouraged in the preparation for this to talk about the uplifting stories about why we want to become scientists. Uh, my name is currently Mr. LePage, and I'd like to be Dr. LePage. It's coming soon. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, this Dee Dan song, it starts with the line, Kids, if you want to have fun, Mr. LePage is your man. Unfortunately, Mr. LePage in the song is a paedophile. Uh, I have a mustache, so I'm getting up weird looks already without a fucking theme song. Um, you talk about... Uh... One of the reasons you did your PhD was about being Dr. LePage instead of Mr. LePage. Um, I had a similar thing. I wanted to be Dr. Dr. Jess just to have a change of name. I didn't have the same stigma that Mr. LePage had. That was, um, a, that was I'm afraid, a comedic <laughs> fabrication. And I only found out about that song after I was on my PhD. Um, I never wanted to get titles. I never really do things for, for achievement's sake. Um, I don't do them for the rec you know, the accolades. I do them because they're good to do, and that's why I have a PhD. So you have your PhD? Are you Dr. LePage now? Has that happened? Yep. Yeah, um, Congratulations. I had my official graduation a couple of weeks ago, but I actually graduated back in January. Oh, wow. Um, you can see my thesis through there, that brick-looking thing. Oh, goodness. It's, um, it's a, it's a for the one. listeners at home, it's a large, large book very large book. I'm quite proud of the fact that, you know, I, I made, I think I made reference in my set to being an animal researcher, but I actually developed techniques that were very, very sparing. 
and I've worked out that if you laid, if you had like a load of mice and dropped my thesis on them, it would kill more mice than are actually killed in the thesis. <laughs> so don't do that. <laughs> that that doesn't yeah. <laughs> It's nice use of your time, though. I suppose life post PhD, you can sit and uh, you can come up with Work calculations out the surface area like this. Maths. <laughs> Is this what doing a PhD drives you to? Answering such obscure questions. I've always been weirdly curious like that. <laughs> I mean, it's the Olympics right now, and I recently downloaded the data set of um, all Olympic medals ever, calculated which sports. For each country, which sport they have the highest position in any medal table, and made that into a map. Uh, and you find weird things like India and Pakistan, their best sport is hockey. And, um, and in Britain it was um, cricket, which they don't even do at the Olympics anymore. Oh yeah, but there is cricket happening this summer, I've heard. Yeah, Bill, Bill has me down as an evolutionary biologist, this is true. Um, I, I'm really called a developmental biologist. I look at how things evolve and grow in embryos, uh, specifically skulls, teeth, molars, all that good stuff. Um, I can't really talk a lot about my research because a lot of it's unpublished at the moment. Uh, suffice to say, uh, I, I discovered some really new cool things about how teeth grow in mammals. Um, and you might think, okay, John, how have you done that? I mean, how could anyone just miss that in the past? And the short answer is just technology. And it turns out that complicated genetic labelling and advanced confocal microscopy are far more sensitive tools for probing the back of the mammalian mouth compared to David Cameron's penis. <laughs> you said, so you, you've got your thesis now, so that means, does this mean you've published some of your results? Does that mean you can tell us a bit more about cool things uh, about how teeth grow in mouths that you couldn't tell us in your set because it was no. unpublished? <laughs> no, I can't. Um, we're still working on getting that published. It's... This is the problem, is that it is substantial work. It's work that's going to go against a lot of people. And you mm. think, that, you know, that actually makes it really hard to publish because you've got to be iron-clad. You've got to cover every angle. So we've been, I've been um, partly sort of part-time employed helping some students who are doing some of the legwork to finish off part of that. And I'm actually now still working for my old lab as a postdoc but we've got a grant for the Zika virus because that's where the money is for head research at the moment, not to be too cynical about it. Um, so I'm, I'm actually looking at Zika brains. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, in terms of my other work, um, it'll come. I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. Um, I just want to get those publications out. Yeah, and then you can tell us what you found out about teeth growing. And about, is the extra bones, is that related? Is that... Or are we not allowed to talk about that either? No, we're not really going to talk about that. Okay. Um, no yeah. sneak previews for us. I like to think that one day I'll be able to give like a pop side talk where it's just entitled, Is Anatomy Wrong? <laughs> and that would be an eye-grabbing and exaggerated way of interpreting it. But um, it does make one really think about some of the assumptions we make about our bodies, which I think is uh, quite cool. Well, yeah, that's what research is all about at the end of the day, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I know you say what you're doing is controversial and that makes it harder to to, to get published. Um, but at the end, but that's that's what research should be doing, isn't it? That's the point of science is to question everything we know and keep questioning and say, OK, this is our best idea so far. But Oh, you're so optimistic. 
the point of science is to publish something which expands upon but kind of agrees with the big wigs in your field so that you'll then get a job with them and then eventually <laughs> kill them and take their position like a Sith Lord. <laughs> That's how real science works, I'm afraid. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being hyper-cynical. But it, it is a bit like that. I mean, it is, it is really like... Um, if you get a postdoc in a really good lab, sometimes you can end up hamstrung because your supervisor wants you to be good, but not so good that you can take over their position, go off, form your own lab, and become one of their competitors. It's just yeah. Is that, is that the situation because funding's tight? You know, if, if everyone could just open their lab and there was no competition for funding, then I'm sure mm. that sort of exploratory culture would be better, but because everyone's competing for money. Yeah. I did a little experiment for the show and I worked out that this height of mic stand is optimised for maximal looseness. <laughs> On the note of postdocs, you mentioned applying for a postdoc in America about birdsong. I'm guessing if you're here looking at Zika, then you made a different decision there or what happened with that? I spent three months applying to that lab. <laughs> And then they turned around and said that they were closing the bird lab down. Oh no, that's really sad. I know, and they've made very complimentary comments about my proposal. But yeah. yeah. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm now looking into another lab um, that I really want to talk to. So That's cool. Did you know that David Attenborough, one of his first documentaries, was looking at music um, in the wild and its origins and what it means? I did not. I think it may have even started on the radio, which is... Which is quite exciting. Um, yeah, so good luck with that. If you find out more about Birdsong, come back and share. I'm sure that'd make another good break concert. It's fundamentally impossible to apply to a lab without publications, and I can't get publications because of various other issues. I am in a bit of a stalled position. My current postdoc is going to help with that, but um, it, 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 you know, in a, in a serious note, it kind of highlights a bit of a problem with the scientific field in that the reason I've had such a big break is because of uh, entirely personal reasons that were unrelated to my career but it's making it hard and we don't actually have many routes for people who stumble at a position to get back into things. There are some charities which specifically do funding for people who've fallen out of science for whatever reason, maybe they went and had a kid at the end of a postdoc and they couldn't get another job because of that or something so they fund people doing that um, which I thoroughly approve of but it does make me think that there's more structural problems where we let talented people fall by the wayside because of some rubbish reasons. Oh definitely especially I'm sure it happens in all academia but especially in STEM there's a big issue of inflexibility of recruitment and losing people at mm. all stages along the journey and um, for like you say are really arbitrary reasons that mm. can quite with a little bit of thought and energy can quite easily be overcome and it's yeah. inherently a feminist issue as well because one of the biggest issues is going to be the fact that this is a point in people's lives when they might just want to start raising families and it more inherently affects women i only know one person who's left science one one man who's left science because their wife's had a kid and he's going to become the stay-at-home father, I know far more who've made decisions based off the fact that they were, far more women who've um, made decisions based off having children. And um, it's not a stable, whether, whatever your gender, whenever you, when you start a family, if you're, you know, postdocs, you're academia, you've got to move to where the work is, haven't you? Yeah. It's very hard. I've got friends who would quite like to carry on academia, but because they're reaching that stage in life, they want to be in one place and it's, mm. it's a lot harder. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm lucky in that I've 
kept myself relatively unrooted. So I am available for hire. <laughs> I am, my CV is available on, um, on the press. We'll get you a job, John, don't worry. <laughs> Brightclub's going to launch your career, whether it's comedy or, or brains. It's going to help you out for sure. I'm actually from Southampton. I am a genuine bona fide Suttonian. I was at the University of Warwick um, until fairly recently. So I think we for Warwick. Whoa! Hey, we got some Warwick. Yeah, Warwick is actually in the city of Coventry, a city so beautiful that they named the university after a town seven miles away in a different county. It's, yeah. Um, I don't want to rag on Coventry too much because I spent seven years there and it was there were good years and you know, you have a special place in your heart for these shit cities that you live in. Um, suffice to say, it's really nice to be back in Southampton. You talked about uh, uh, growing up in Southampton mm -hmm. um, and also being at uni at the University of Warwick, mm -hmm. situated in, Com in Coventry. Um, anything else you'd like to, any tales you'd like to tell about your background here in Southampton or about your return? to your homeland? Um, I, I spent two months living in Cambridge. It made me really realise what Southampton and Coventry are lacking. Uh, in the sense of, and also, I, I lived a year in Leamington Spa, which is another place where a lot of work students live. And you do get the feeling with, um, particularly with Coventry, and it used to be with Southampton, that there's just less going on. Like, you can't just go and see a small gig there aren't that isn't much going on and it's got so much better and I think yeah. people really should really appreciate how good Southampton is these days yeah. I don't think that's necessary to do with the University of Southampton I don't think it has anything to do with that yeah. I think it's got to do with the University of Sol you know, Solent University turning the corner because a few years ago it was really down the dumps and it's it's doing pretty well yeah it's doing pretty awesome at the moment and also the expansion of the cruise ships, and it's kind of changed what this town is now. I think also it's coming to the surface. My experience of living here for the last eight and a half years is that there's always been quite a lot going on, but you really have to dig for it. You really have to mm. try and find out about it. But once you do, there's like every night of the week you can find a pub with an open mic night or, yeah. or a band playing, or there's quite a lot of theatre going on as well and, and all sorts of community groups and they're gradually coming to the surface and mm. their voices are being heard and that's really good. Well, I'll tell you one thing that Southampton has that pretty much no other city has in the same way is our city centre parks. Yeah. They're lovely and I know I'll miss them and I really appreciate them living in the city centre and they're grade two listed, they're very important to the town. Very few cities have that where you can literally either walk up the high street or walk up that park and I, I think that's um you know one of the real assets of science yeah definitely we're really lucky and you just keep coming across extra parks that you've never been to i don't know if you've had this but just yeah there's extra little parks dotted all over the place that you can be completely oblivious to and you just suddenly find them have you ever been to the the one by the mayflower memorial uh which is on the uh th there's a tiny park which is just behind a bit of the old walls and most people don't know it's there uh and it's just across from the Red Funnel Ferry place. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, I stumbled across that when I was yeah. walking the walls once. Yeah. Which is a lovely thing to do if you're in Southampton, the old mm. walls are there. Or even better, get in the vaults. You can do a walk of the vaults and the walls, and I used to work in the vaults, and they're amazing. There's all these <laughs> underground holes. It's really cool that you've managed to um, 
You seem to have interests in many different fields. I think sometimes when you're doing a PhD, it can be very easy to just focus on the one area, often mm. to your own detriment, and it's, it's well, good to have interests in lots of different areas. My, my first time at a job was in the arts, um, purely through my mother. My mother was a mature student who went back after, you know, she'd been a physiotherapist and then a stay-at-home mum, and then um, she went back to university and did arts. And she was part of an artist group, and they always required volunteers for the gallery, and I started doing it. And it actually turned into a summer job, paying thing in the vaults. So I've always had the, you know, had thought to myself, like, I'm a scientist, and my first job was in arts. And I think that's quite fun to be. Um, it's also why I've volunteered at the Art House Cafe, and done stuff just because, you know, I've also worked in a cafe. I like the diversity of um, experience that that provides. I think it's good for, for everyone. I think it's good to highlight things like how science and engineering are creative as well, and mm. that also the arts have method, and that they're not quite as separate entities. As It's good to cross over sometimes. Yeah, there's a science and art thing coming up, and I was suggesting I could do a talk. Okay, you, you can tell me if this sounds terrible or not. <laughs> On the laws of what you can, you can and can't do with human tissue and blood and semen and so forth in art, because yeah. I, I, I had to actually have an, I had to be taught about this in order to use it for research. Oh wow! And they they mentioned the fact that you'd also have to do it to do art. So I was thinking of doing a talk on that. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. That sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. Dave's nodding. Yeah, Dave's nodding. Good. <laughs> I think that's a winner. I was talking to um, some PhD students from Southampton the other day and I was being treated like some sort of exotic beast because I've never actually to spoken to someone from Southampton. Uh, so what do you need to know about Suttonians? Well, um, when we go to the football, we mostly sing songs about shooting people who support Portsmouth, despite the fact we haven't played them for about three and a half years now. So we hold a grudge. Uh, I still have a grudge against Monaco, who invaded us 700 years ago. So I'll give a, I will forgive Monaco when they give back our big set of scales. <laughs> Sorry, it's a very specific joke. Um, I mean, another thing about Southampton, we spent millions on a new cultural water centre. The flagship thing of is a giant Nando's. So, <laughs> go Southampton. On the subject of Southampton, um, you talk about the invasion of when Monaco invaded us and something about a big set of scales. Yep, it was the French and Genovese invaded, so that's. Um, and the French group that invaded used the money to found Monaco. Okay. Uh, and Genoa is now part of Italy. It's, um, if you go down, I think it's either French Street or Bugle Street, or one of the streets parallel to the High Street going towards the docks, you'll find, um, actually no, the docks all around. That was a terrible way to put it. Going but south. yeah, there's, there's a small primary school, and um, yeah, behind that primary school is an old medieval stone building with no roof. It's called the Way House, and apparently, used to be a big set of scales there that they used to weigh things for taxation purposes and one of the things that they stole was that so i will forgive monaco when they give us back our scales <laughs> were they particularly impressive scales or were they just quite useful it's the principle of it it's um yeah i mean they're, they're, they are why the city has walls um and i think that i think it's kind of you know i, I do joke about this i don't really well, I, I don't mind pissing off everyone in Monaco because there's not that many of them. 
and they're all just rich, so they wouldn't be in a fight. Um, but <laughs> you know, exactly. Uh, but yeah, the it is a bit of a funny thing. But I think it's part of local custom. Not enough people in Southampton know they're meant to hate people from Monaco. Oh, they're too busy hating uh, people from Portsmouth. Exactly. You know, oh. I mean, Portsmouth first, Monaco second. Oh, okay. But yeah, and, <laughs> but I do recall certain history books, local history books, calling them the Pirates Grimaldi, whereas you won't find that from anywhere else. And I think it's a unique little custom of our town. So oh. I want to keep it up. Oh, keep the hate alive. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's only for comedic purposes. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I moved back down when I was doing my writing up because I ran out of money, as you all will. Enjoy your futures. But, um, yeah, it took me a while because, I mean, partly, you know, life happened, but also I like procrastinating. Um, I procrastinated so much, I, I had a game on my phone which I completed 100%. don't know if you've ever done that, but like, all the bonus levels, every single extra character or that. It's a game called Tinder. <laughs> So you might think that, um, oh, if he's been on Tinder that much, he must have some really good chat-up lines. And you would be right. Except, except, dear researchers, I don't think that chat-up lines are fit for human interaction at all. They do work as jokes, but more specifically, I want to propose something to you as a genuine academic theory. I call it the pages rule because I'm super modest. And, um, it is this. The quality of a research project is directly proportional to how easy it is to convert to a chat-up line. How many of you are actually doing some sort of specific research project at the moment? Just woo, you know? Yeah, okay. So I'll give you some examples, because I think this works beautifully. So I used to work, uh, I had a, like a summer project in Cambridge, working on gay flies. Uh, flies which are mutated to be gay. They're great. Um, so close set, you know, that was actually kind of a little bit about me, because... Uh, so for you it was just comedy, for me it was both comedy and specific personal abuse. Um, but yeah, I worked on gay flies and I dissected their brains and I was looking for the cells which are different compared to um, non-gay flies. Um, and that's kind of hard because you use your bare hands, just some tweezers. So it gave me this, it was a great project, so it turns into a great chat-up line. Which is, I use my incredible manual dexterity to probe the mysteries of love. <laughs> pretty good. good, pretty good project, pretty good. Um, so you can't tell us about the details of your research because it's top secret, controversial stuff. But we'd all like to know what do you see um, the sort of endpoint, or where do you see the application of learning about um, learning about how bones in the mouth develop and, and things like that, and also um, also other things that you've you studied during your mm -hmm. your career, such as they talked about the gay flies. Yeah why do that yeah um so about the gay flies thing that was um if you go on youtube and you search through f that's f-u-r-f male flies chaining behavior you'll see a video of these flies kind of doing a conga line which is kind of funny <laughs> just just like hum the benny hill music um but the reason we were studying that is because there's basically two genes that if you um there's two genes in flies this doesn't apply for humans where they get folded in a male and female form. And if you force them to be the wrong form, you actually change the apparent sex of that fly. Um, and there's, they're called fruitless, which is the fruit bit. It used to be called fruity because all fly, 
things are kind of jokes fly gene names are kind of jokes and it, the joke was that they're gay um, so yeah, you get fruitless and you get double sex with, and fruitless changes the brain so we were looking at what actually changes in the brain uh, on like a single cell level and it was part of um, you know really trying to understand how, how that links in with their um, their smell their, their olfactory reception which is a really important test bed for studies into memory at the moment because they use they use flies simple assays with flies uh, and learning and you can uh, if you look up the TED talk by Jeremy Zenbock he's an Austrian scientist he wrote false memories into a fly's brain with lasers so I really recommend that talk and it's kind of in that field the um yeah, the, the why bother looking at bones and teeth and stuff? Um, the three parts of my thesis were actually um, the jaws and teeth, the top of the skull, the forehead sort of area, and then more generally muscle attachment regions, where muscles stick onto bone. And in all of those cases, we found things which were kind of against our current theory about how they grow, you know, quite fundamentally against all of those things. And... That's important because the me- the way we approach those things medically is based upon what we assume them to be. And if the assumption is wrong, then we may be um, either doing a treatment which is not the best thing we could be doing, or we may be missing out on potential research things because we're looking in the wrong place to find mm. what to manipulate. And I think also importantly, you know, we're advancing with this idea of growing organs in a dish. And, you know, the idea that if you've lost your jaw to cancer, you grow a new jaw and have it implanted, and it'd be of your body. If you're trying to trick um, stem cells into growing into something, you probably need to understand how they grow into that thing in the real world. And, as I say, I think fundamentally, we're trying to force them to perform a process that they don't actually perform in the body, because they perform it in a completely different way. Um, so I, I really think that there's great opportunity that if, if we're right about what we said, which I think we are, and if people can really get down to the molecular biology of it, there could be some real medical applications of this like quite a long way down the line. That's pretty cool. Hmm. I mean, my, my greatest fantasy from that, I think, is the idea that you could grow some stem cells and instead of having these systems where you have a prosthetic and you know you have an implanted bone and they just like staple something onto it but you could like paint on these stem cells and have the muscle organically attach in a way that is as good as new you know and i think that could be possible so um but people won't be looking for it or they won't be looking in my place (laughs) but maybe they will once once your thesis work gets published maybe that'll set them in the right direction that's it I can't get a postdoc position at the moment. I'm aiming at a lab in America that looks at how birds learn songs. Trying to get back to neuroscience, which I used to do. Um, and that's great because that's a straight classic because that's, I crossed the oceans to learn why birds sing. And I think you've just given me the answer. <laughs> that's actually fairly good. I need to go over it. I don't think we could um, not ask have any of your research-based chat-up lines worked? Um, and when I say worked, I mean, <laughs> that's dodgy area as well, but, or a loose 
definition of work. I don't really, like I said in the talk, I don't believe in chat-up lines at all. Yeah. I, I have, while flirting, just discussed the fact that I made these up and just showing that I was kind of a funny guy and yeah that was fine but yeah (laughs) I don't I don't believe in like just walking up to someone and just like using a line it just doesn't I can't imagine does it ever work with real people I mean it's funny on TV but yeah I think it's mostly a comedic invention but besides even it was like I'm not the kind of guy that's going to work for I'm (laughs) I'm I'm very much a finding a way to someone's heart through their stomach kind of person I like cooking (laughs) for people so um Try my linguine isn't a great chat up line. Particularly because I don't cook linguine. (laughs) So my research is about very cold cables. Mm -hmm. Can you use that in any way to create a comedic chat up line? Put you on the spot there? Oh. So do you see that putting bones in your mouth one took years of research and development. (laughs) Well what's what's your thesis title? I'll see if I can do anything with it. I've got to remember now. Quench propagation and detection in the CERN uh, LHC high velocity upgrade cable or something similar like that. <laughs> the page's rule is that the better your research project is, the easier it is to turn into a chat up line. So from this, I've got to conclude that your research project's shit. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to find out this oh, way, but. Man. Um, oh, man. All those years wasted. <laughs> okay, here you go. You know, just go up some guys. I have a PhD level education in how to get a rod hot. You know, I think that's the best I can do. Oh, except it's cryogenic, so we're getting cold. Yeah. All right. Works both ways, right? It's all thermodynamics. It's all heat transfer. It's yeah. all thermodynamics. All right. All right. For listeners, uh, Jess is just writing up her thesis at the moment, so this is perfect timing to be told that her project is useless. <laughs> Yeah, I spent the morning such... reading through what I'd just written as well. I thought it was pretty good until now. Yeah, and you, and you got it from such an authority on the matter who's, who's read exactly zero PhD theses, including his own. I don't think I've sat down <laughs> and read it all the way through. You've got so... a rule, though. You've got a rule. So. <laughs> yeah, something named after me, so it must be true. <laughs> it must be true. That's how it works. Now, part of my PhD, it's a, it's, yeah, it was a great project, so it's really easy to turn to a chat-up line. But I will remind you, it wasn't about how good the eventual chat-up line is. Because part of my PhD suggested there was additional bones in the human mouth. <laughs> my research shows that there's more bones in your mouth than we previously thought. And if you play your cards right... <laughs> You need to complete that sentence. It's kind of a partial sentence. I don't think you'd ever get to, you don't think you get to the end of that sentence before the pepper spray hits your eye. So I wouldn't recommend trying that one. But try it out with your own project. Try and do, you know, tweet it out What are the most important questions you think are gonna be asked in the field of evolutionary biology in the future? Well, I say evolutionary biology because it's something people get their claws into, but I'm, I really think of myself as a developmental biologist. But people don't really understand what that means. Oh, just by oh saying go on it. then. Maybe you could explain developmental well, biology for a minute. Well, I mean, the word developmental could mean either I'm a biologist who makes new things or I'm a biologist who studies new things being made. It's the second thing. I study fetuses. and That relates to evolution deeply because every change in evolution is a change to how that fetus changes. But it's just, it, you know, it, for the purpose of putting on a poster, it's a lot easier to say evolutionary biology. Um, I, I, I really do think that we have this um, 
fundamental attachment to some old ideas about how the body is organized, which with um, increasing advances in uh, how we can observe these things are going to make, you know, going to really require a lot of deep thought to think, are we right about these things? So I, I think that's something that the, the field might have to come to terms with. Other than that, we are kind of blowing the lid open with um, all this targeted genetic modification we can do. Mm. And, you know, if you really get down to, um, it, well, we, it, it's not just that we're getting better and better tools, we're expanding those tools to more and more different species. So we can examine different parts of the question rather than just in mice and in flies, which are the two best for genetics. So once we get to that point where we can really just take any animal that might be important to look at because it represents an interesting branch of the tree of life, and you can go in and tweak different genes and see what happens, um, we're really going to expand the story to include a lot more things. So I think that that's, uh, that's what's going to happen. Awesome, that sounds exciting. So, uh, yeah, coming to the end of my set, I'm actually, like I say, I'm only from Southampton. Um, I found out about this because I walked into the Art House Cafe just down the road. Um, it's a vegetarian and vegan cafe, and I took my very non-vegetarian and vegan thesis in there to do corrections. Because I'm an irony enthusiast and a little bit of an arsehole. <laughs> um, I happened to run into a group of people called The Science Room. Uh, they put on little talks there. Woo! And I am I'm performing there on Saturday, uh, bringing kids. Uh, I, I promise there will be 100% fewer dick jokes, but because the topic is the origins of life, it's going to implicitly contain every single act of fucking ever, so... Well, thanks very much for the tea, John, and the chat. You're it's welcome. been fun. Um, I look forward to hearing you interview the next Bright Club comedian in our chain of podcasts. They've told you about that, right? Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I'm supposed to interview, but yeah, we'll, we'll give it <laughs> it's a go. It's alright, Dave will sort it out, Dave will sort it out, don't worry. It means I have to watch more Bright Clubs. Mm. Yeah, you do, ones that aren't you. <laughs> What's the fun in that? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, thanks everyone for listening, thanks Dave for putting this together, and thanks everyone for coming to Bright Club, because it wouldn't happen without our amazing audiences, and it makes me so happy that it does happen. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray, thanks very much. Hello again, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, as Jess said, also thank you for coming to the shows if you're one of the people who also comes to the shows. Uh, because as she said, uh, none of this would really still be going on if it wasn't for you guys coming along and uh, supporting us. Um, and also for those of you performing, thanks to you guys, definitely. Also, uh, if you are yourself doing a research project and have come up with a chat-up line to uh, test LePage's theory, uh, please send them over to us. I would very much like to hear them and uh, potentially read them out on a future podcast, um, or just read them for my own amusement. That'd be great too. Um, so if you want to send those to us, uh, please uh, tweet us with those uh, chat-up lines. So, uh, yeah, look for Bright Club Southampton on Twitter, um, or uh, look for us on Facebook. Uh, you can send them to us there, or you can email them to us, or email anything else you want to us um, at uh, brightclubsutton at gmail.com. I think that's right. I tried to come up with some chat-up lines on my own research, uh, and uh, they've all been terrible, so I'm not going to tell you those now. Um, 
maybe in a private conversation I'll tell you, but uh, I'm not just going to put them out on the internet with them coming out of my voice. That sounds terrible. Uh, so we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with the next podcast, episode five, uh, where John's going to be interviewing uh, Catherine Crawford. In the meantime, uh, we've got a training session uh, that um, I'll be running along with uh, a friend of ours from uh, the Comedy Society, um, and that's a, just a little training session open to anyone who wants to come. Uh, we'll, we'll be covering a bit of kind of comedy theory and uh, how to make things funny. Um, so it'd be useful if you want to perform, but uh, there's no obligation on you to perform at a future Bright Club show. Uh, you could just come because you're kind of interested in comedy and uh, interested in thinking a bit about how it works um, and why some things are funny. Uh, so yeah, if that interests you, um, check us out on Facebook uh, where there's details and information about the event. Also, uh, it's actually a month today uh, until our next show. Um, if you're listening to this on the day of release, uh, it's less time if you're listening to it after, obviously. Um, but yeah, our next show is on the uh, 19th of May. Uh, so uh, tickets and event details will be out there soon. Uh, so look out for those. All right. Um, yeah, so uh, have a good couple of weeks. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your chat up lines. Thanks. I've heard other podcasters say that uh, recording an outro uh, sometimes feels like you are recording a voicemail message. Uh, so yeah, I just realized that saying thanks like that sounds kind of weird. Um, yeah, bye. the science room and you should check out our page on facebook just find the science room page and we put like daily links up and you can find out about our events there so have a look at that